Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Thomas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls, and we're three and four. I mean, and after this really, really kind of lousy start in a lot of ways, the, the Bulls are 3-4, and four and they catch a schedule break with Luka Doncic missing the game against Dallas, and they squeak out a win. And so depending on how you look at this, that's either really good or really bad, right? You know, like there's a couple ways you could go with it, because if you're someone who says, man, we really want draft position, you know, squeaking out some of these wins is not so great. You know, it just isn't, you know, so great to get them uh, at this point in time. And, you know, you'd much rather have kind of gotten losses if you're going to end up being bad at the end. So at the end of the season, if things don't turn around and this isn't a decent Bulls team and you're not competing for the playoffs, some of these wins may not excite you. But as it turns out, if you are actually competing for the playoffs at the end and if over time we get enough time to bring in the right schemes and Billy Donovan's able to make an impact and these players are able to grow and improve and through the season get better and better, these wins could turn out to be pretty good. But three and four is about what may be a good-ish case of where the Bulls would be right now, you know, when you looked at the schedule going in. You kind of figured that there were six games that were, I won't say toss-ups, but you would have hoped to win three of the six. And they would have been all the games except against Milwaukee, which you kind of figured was probably a loss. And that is actually what has happened. So not bad in the to- total overall record. Now, in terms of the play, it's much, much worse than that. The Bulls are fourth worst in the NBA in point differential because they've gotten annihilated in all of the games that they've lost sans the Golden State game. They're 25th in defensive rating and they're 19th in offensive rating. And so, you know, that still is... Not the best. The team is not performing that well. But uh, what I did like to see in this game against Dallas was the Bulls scheme. At the end of the game, they started switching everything. Uh, They started playing some hedging on on the defensive end towards the pick and roll, and they stopped from going away to this drop coverage all the time. And the drop coverage is something that I've talked about on the show before. I've talked about it on the Big Red Bus with Fred. I just am not a fan of this as your base coverage. So with the drop scheme, you're basically fighting over the screen. It's typically going to give the guard a run towards the basket. Your big man defender or the secondary guy, whoever's defending the screen, is going to drop back, and he's going to you know, kind of give up this mid-range jumper, and he's going to try and set himself up to draw a charge or contest with a block uh, when the guard is charging towards the basket. And so what has actually happened with this is... The opponents have gotten a lot of free runs towards the basket, and our big men have not been doing a good enough job, or whoever is defending as, as the drop player in the scheme has not done a good enough job to actually contest the shot at the rim and stop these shots from happening there. And so when you get that, I think you end up giving a lot of shots at the rim. Now, if you went with the Bulls scheme last year, they blitzed not all the time. People say they blitzed every time. They blitzed 42% of the time, which is a tremendously high amount of the time. So about half the time, They're basically double-teaming the ball handler and trying to force the ball out of his hands. So the Bulls aren't doing that so much anymore. But the other options would be you can go under the screen, you can give up the three. In the modern NBA, that's probably a pretty poor option. That was a pretty common option back in the day, but now almost everyone can shoot, and you don't want to do that. Uh, The other option is the big man can uh, temporarily double-team. He can show, 
and then you give enough time for the ball handler to recover, and then you try, gotta try and get back. And in this case, you're kind of giving up the big man rolling towards the basket. And the other option, of course, is you just switch. And you know now maybe your, your guys are in bad position. So one thing about the Bulls roster is when we get to the bench guys, and you don't have Zach and Kobe both on the floor, the bench guys can kind of switch everything, right? You know, you got Sato, Porter, and you know a bunch of uh, six, seven guys out there, be it Hutch or Valentine or Thad Young. Uh, you know, pretty much everyone can just switch everything. And I, I think when you get to that bench unit where you've got all these kind of more versatile, we'll just say even like modern NBA type players, I I would be much more towards switching almost everything rather than going to this drop coverage. And you you did see them do that a little bit more. But I, I like the fact that they mix things up. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come. The other thing I want to talk a little bit about is Wendell Carter. Like, Wendell Carter has, for whatever reason, just been, like, thrown under the bus. Like, everyone is talking because Daniel Gafford has had two moments where he, he's looked really explosive against, you know, quite frankly, really bad competition. And it has looked really good. And there's now this push to start uh, Daniel Gafford over Wendell Carter by some people. And here's just what I want to say about that. Uh, Wendell Carter is actually, at this point in time, uh, 53% from the field, 15.5 points per game, 10 rebounds. Uh, sorry, they, these were uh, per 36, sorry. 15.5 points per 36, uh, 10.2 rebounds per 36, three assists per 36, uh, and 58% from two, and uh, now at 30% from three, he was shooting 33%. That's not bad. You know, I think people got really hung up on how bad he shot the three in preseason, and now he was just missing everything. But now that he's kind of settled in the regular season, and after putting up a, a, quite a few attempts early on, you know, missing a lot of shots early on, he's, he's made a few threes. That, that number, 30%, is no longer god-awful. I mean, it's not great, but it's not god-awful. And his attempts are, are way down. He's not shooting a lot of threes anymore and only shooting, like, wide-open ones and maybe even trying to get just kind of ones in the corner. And I think that's okay. I think it's fine if he experiments with one or two three-point shots a game still, which is kind of how it is treaded. But otherwise, his scoring numbers are fine. Like, they really are. They're just kind of fine. And, and there's nothing to complain about there. You know, Gafford, the one thing I'll say about him is he gets so many points off offensive rebounds, which is great, and he gets a lot of offensive rebounds. But Gafford is a pretty weak defensive rebounder. Three and a half defensive rebounds per 36 minutes for your center is kind of a problem. Like, it, it really is. You know, I mean, Carter's eight. It's kind of a problem. And he's an energy player, but he's not finishing anything that, that Carter is not going to finish as a general rule. Uh, I just, I, I think Gafford is, is played pretty well. I'm excited about Gafford. He's a limited player. I think Carter still gives you a little bit more overall. I think Carter is just a better player overall. But I understand why when you see Gafford make some of these really big, high-energy players, and he's a high-motor player, how you get excited for him. But I think if you're starting Daniel Gafford, you're not going to see 71% from the field. Uh, and, and he's not going to stretch the, the, the floor past three feet from the basket. Not that I think people are really caring a whole lot if Carter gets a mid-range jumper off and clearly not caring if he's uh, going to take a three-point attempt. But I, I guess I'm just not, I'm not sold on Daniel Gafford. I'm, I'm okay if... They try and get him some more minutes. But I think right now, actually, where Gafford is, just playing in his exact role that he should be playing, which is backup center, you know, I think that's kind of just where he needs to be, and that's where he is. And, and there should be no complaints about that. In some ways, 
His success is probably because he's playing with a very experienced lineup around him. He's got much better passing, much better vision around him on the court in a lot of his minutes. And he's actually in the role that he should be in, which is a 15 to 20 minute backup center. And you know, a lot of these guys are really kind of stretched into roles that are like above what they should be. And so when you look at Kobe White, Kobe White is, is definitely in a role that is above what his current skill set is. You know, we're trying to see if we can throw him into the fire and it, you know, if he can come out and, uh, you know, stronger and, and come out as a point guard. You know, it's a little bit of sink or swim. Let's just see what happens here. You know, just dump him in the ocean and see if he can get back to shore. You know, so I think that's fine. I think it's good that we find out, can Kobe and can Zach play together? I think that's an important thing to come out of this season with. But Kobe's not really played very well. I mean, if, per game, five and a half assists uh, seems pretty great until you realize there's 3.3 turnovers, and that's not really an exciting ratio. And, you know, his scoring has been very, very poor. You know, I, think, I think as a point guard, it's kind of like, yeah, he's getting there. As a scorer, Kobe has really kind of been a train wreck. I mean, really bad. The one thing I thought Kobe was going to be great at so far this year, he's actually been really awful at. Uh, did have a nice game against the Mavericks, which was the first one in a while. His true shooting percentage was 48% before that game. He raised to 51.6% you know, with, a, with a really strong performance that game. And what I've said about Kobe is, and he had a great preseason, I thought, if Kobe is going to be a good player in this league, it's going to be because he's a really, really good shooter. And if Kobe's not a really, really good shooter then there's going to be struggles. Like he needs to get his three-point percentage up over 40%, and he needs to be able to shoot threes that he creates off the dribble. If he can do those things, then maybe you've got something exciting there. But if not, it's really going to be rough because he does not finish inside. He does not draw a ton of fouls relative to the number of possessions he uses. He's not an overall efficient scorer outside of that three-point shooting, and he doesn't really bring a whole lot else to the table outside of it either. The Bulls' defense at the point of attack has been very poor. I think part of that is this drop scheme, which I discovered, I just talked about earlier, and I don't really care for, which has these guards chasing over the scheme. It's not something that they're great at. So I just, I just think Kobe has got, got a ways to go. He's maybe the most disappointing player so far for the Bulls this year, and I think that's rough saying, like right after this Dallas game, which was his best game by far to date. But you know, overall, I think he's, he's been the biggest disappointment for me, and I think actually if you just kind of pulled Bulls fans, I think Wendell Carter would be viewed as the biggest disappointment for the team. And, and Carter is averaging almost as many points uh, per minute as Kobe White at a much, much more efficient rate. And he's adding you know, a little bit more defense. And he's, his rebounding, I mean, he kind of is adding something there. I don't know. I just, I just, I just not been happy with Kobe White. So so far, and it's still early, I'm not giving up on it. I'm not saying we should stop trying it. But so far, it doesn't feel like there's great returns on the Kobe-Zach uh, pairing as two starting players. And so far, it feels like these aren't two guys you want to put together on the court a lot. You know, we'll see where it goes over time. But you know, I think it, it, even in this game against Dallas, where they both kind of played well, it was like Zach was unbelievable in the first quarter. And then Kobe was unbelievable towards the end of the game. And there was really no period where they played well together. You don't really see any chemistry between these guys. You don't see them move the ball back and forth well between them. You don't see them kicking out to each other for lots of great shots. Like these, these guys are not playing off of each other very well. And you kind of feel like this is a situation where, yeah, it's fine because they're both threats and you want them both on the court. But like you really might want each of these guys on the court together as limited amount as possible. So if they're both going to play 36 minutes, you might want them to overlap for only 12 minutes 
and they each cover the 12 minutes the other guy is resting. And then, yeah, it's fine, those, those minutes they play together, but they're really going to be uh, doing well in the minutes where they can just be themselves, both kind of take that, I'm going to hold the ball, I'm going to get lots of shots, I'm going to take the offense uh, under, under uh, my control in these minutes type of thing. And that, that might really be the best thing for you. One thing I think has really been kind of a concern for the Bulls, besides the fact that they've really just been annihilated by every team that was good. I mean, you beat a Wizards team, which now looks a little bit better. And let's be fair, this Wizards team, even though they hadn't won a game through their uh, five first games or six first games, whatever it was after we beat them twice, they won two after that. And so now, you know, they're now maybe a teeny bit more back on track. They're not like the worst team in the league. The Wizards themselves were a team we expected to probably be better than the Bulls, you know, after the season started, after the Russell Westbrook trade. And it still might be, might be true, right? And so the Bulls beat them twice. So I think that's okay. And they had Westbrook and they had Beal both those games. You know, the Bulls are actually missing Lowry for one of those games. So I think, I think that's okay. You know, the Wizards are missing uh, Rui Hachimura for one of them. They got him back. And maybe that's been a, a big plus for them. But, you know, the Bulls are missing Lowry for a few of these games, the COVID protocol. Obviously not the same as missing Doncic in this Dallas game. But it's, it's, it's a tough thing that's going to make this season kind of weird. You know, normally you kind of say the season is, is schedule kind of balances out. But in this case, it is kind of an odd thing because there's going to be so many absences due to COVID protocol that I don't know that the schedule really is going to balance out. You catch, you know, a home and home because now you're going to play a team twice in a row really quickly. A lot of times for the teams in your conference, if you've got, you know, two home games against a team, they're scheduling them, you know, right next to each other just to limit travel and stuff like that. And that makes sense. But now it's like you're far more likely to hit a team where their injuries are both there uh, and, and you, you either catch everyone healthy for both games or you miss guys for both games. And same with COVID protocol stuff. So there's going to be some weird balance stuff in the schedule this year, which is going to make it just a little bit interesting in how it all turns out. So we'll see how those things uh, balance out. So I, we're two weeks into the season, and I'm going to go kind of with just some quick grades over the players. Uh, Kobe White, I'm going to give probably a D. I was at like F- minus before this Wizards game when he was shooting 48% true shooting percentage. This Wizards game brings him up to quasi-usable uh, again. But really the thing is, he just needs to score efficiently. I'm okay with the fact that he's growing at point guard, but we can't have him just throwing out clunker after clunker after clunker after clunker. If Kobe White can't score efficient, efficiently, Kobe White will actually not even be in the league. Like, you have to score efficiently. That is what you do. You have to make better decisions with the basketball. You can't keep driving into contact and just throwing up junk at the rim and getting swatted away. I mean, your, your two-point field goal percentage is 37%. That is just unacceptable. Yeah, you, you just either need to stop shooting all those shots and start finding guys or doing something because that's, that's not great. So this Dallas game brings him up a little bit. Uh, but D, not a good start to Kobe after a tremendous preseason where he shot the ball amazingly. Uh, did bring up his three-point percentage up to 37% in this Wizards game. So again, you know, early stats can move around a lot, but just has not been a good start. Zach Levine, I think I'm going to go with maybe a C. He's kind of been about what you expect. The turnovers have really been a challenge for Zach, though. He's averaging 4.3 per game right now, very high. His points are a little bit less than last year. And mainly his three-point percentage down to 30% this year. Now, Zach is a silky smooth shooter normally, but he has not shot the ball from deep well so far this season. I expect that to change over time. 
two-point percentage has been great, which has kind of lifted that up. Uh, overall, I just think, you know, Zach has got uh, more turnovers and assists. Yeah, I just I don't think it's been great. The one thing I will say, though, for Zach is I think his defense has been considerably better. I've been impressed with the amount of effort he's putting in, and I think he's actually been way more aware rotationally than he has in the past and has not looked nearly as lost as he has in the past. So I think that's a, a very positive sign. But of the, the few things you want to see from Zach Levine, I mean, one, you just want to see cons- continued offensive excellence. We've seen a teeny bit of a drop-off there. Not so much that I'm going to complain about it, but somewhat of a drop-off, particularly in the three-point shooting uh, area. But you want to see continued excellence uh, offensively. Then you want to see uh, limited turnovers, and then you want to see improved defense. So the turnovers have actually so far gotten worse <laughs> this year, but the defense has gotten better. We'll say those things cancel each other out. Offense is a little bit less. Uh, overall, it's a kind of about what you expect. Uh, Wendell Carter, I, th- I think I'm going to give uh, yeah, C plus, And all my grades are maybe like towards expectations. So like Zach is still the best player on this team. So if you're going to rate these teams, these guys on an absolute scale, like Zach is still an A. But just relative to my expectation of how I expect them to grow. I think uh, Wendell Carter, I, I, I'd say B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. I think people are really upset about Wendell Carter, but they, they shouldn't be. He's actually played kind of okay. It was just he had this really, really awful preseason, and I think that stuck in a lot of people's heads, and they just think he's a lot worse than he is. He had and it, and it kind of a poor start to the season, but he's quietly put together a pretty good set of games. And, you know, and in that game where Daniel Gafford was destroying it against the Wizards, it's worth noting Wendell Carter had a stretch where he had like eight points in a row in either the late third or early fourth quarter that, that you know, gave the Bulls you know, scoring when they, when they definitely absolutely needed it. So he's also kind of contributed in some key moments and, it, and it's been okay. Uh, Lowry Markkinen, we've not seen him play for a while, but I, I think Lowry, I got to give a B, B plus. I, he's probably maybe been the Bulls' best player. I mean, Zach's kind of come on a little bit, so maybe that's not true anymore, but He's, he's had a really nice start to the season, three-point percentage, 47%, which has been outstanding, outstanding. Two-point percentage is up. He's going into the paint and looking for mismatches when he has them. Again, we've not seen Lowry now in a few games, so hopefully he can keep that up. You know, he's only got four games under his belt compared to some other guys. Uh, Thad Young, the stats don't necessarily show it as like, you know, something incredible, but I think Thad Young has actually played pretty well. His defense has been good. I like the way he's been used. I, I think his ball movement has been excellent. And, and I think Thad Young is now a very positive player. It wouldn't be surprising to me if we were able to flip uh, Thad Young at the deadline for something for a team trying to make a run because he just looks like a good vet. The defense obviously looks a lot better, but I think the offense moves a lot better with him. Uh, Otto Porter, I think he started out slow and he still looks a little bit out of shape to me. But his shooting has come on, and he clearly looks like a pro, definitely knows what he's doing. And you can just tell watching this team, like, how much these young guys really need to grow and learn. When you see, like, Thad and Porter and Sato out there and these guys who played for a while, like, they're just, they're just making so many better reads on both sides of the ball, even if it doesn't always show up in all the, the stats. It's like the, the whole team just functions much better while these guys are out there. Uh, Porter, I'd have to give... Probably an A2 so far. I mean, his, his true shooting percentage has been very good, 62%, uh, which is generally what you want. But defensively, even though he looks really limited and kind of slow, he just always makes the right read and always does the right thing. And I think that has been really solid. I think he's provided a lot of stability to every lineup that he's been in. And I think he just, he's been on the court. 
So, I mean, I like basically figured like Otto Porter was like a zero to me going into this season. So expectations were really low. So part of that, you know, for me personally, just seeing uh, Porter play really well has, has been, uh, you know, outstanding. Uh, Daniel Gafford, I, I give him a B plus, just extreme efficiency so far, high energy, still have some concerns. Expectations, again, weren't super high, but he looks, you know, definitely like a quality backup center in the league. I think he's going to be good. And, you know, Sato, I think so far I'm going to go, you know, probably again, B, this is a guy who maybe, maybe he's in his right role now and as a backup point guard instead of as a starting point guard. But again, the offense just flows so much more efficiently with him in there. Uh, I think the units with him in there look a lot better. His uh, shooting efficiency has been much better and he's, he's now doing well. I think overall those guys, especially the bench unit, their efficiency has been much better offensively. And I think that the Bulls offense has been you know, much better in terms of offensive rating. I think we were down 29th or 30th last year and we're 19th this year. So there actually has been a big uptick. Don't get fooled by the points per game. The Bulls are just running out of the gym right now. They're second in the league in pace. Everyone, I think, is playing at a high pace. Maybe it's just because so far with limited practice, it's just like get out there and run and and people aren't as practiced in their sets yet because of uh, COVID locking down most of training camp and, and teams aren't as experienced. So they're just trying to get out there and move faster. Maybe that's just what it is. But but either way, the the Bulls scoring both in terms of points given up and points that they've scored themselves has just been insane. I mean, I can't imagine last time. And it's made the game as fun to watch. Like, even when these teams are not great and these, these basketball level is not great, like, just the sheer amount of points just makes these games exciting. I mean, like, the Bulls have scored over 100 points in every game. 104, 106, oh, sorry, Every game except Milwaukee, 128, 115, 133, 96 against the Bucks, 118 against the Mavs. They've also given up a whole ton of points. But so at least, you know, it's exciting. And if you're talking about pumping and dumping players, I, you know, I think that's actually fine because these raw stats are going to be higher by doing this. And maybe, you know, if you're a poor GM, and I don't really know that there's poor GMs anymore that are that stupid to get excited about stuff like that. But if there are, having better raw stats uh, is, is definitely helpful. Uh, so... You know, I think that's kind of like the main guys. Oh, Patrick Williams. I am not excited about Patrick Williams so far, but I'm still going to give him probably a B minus. He's been a little bit better than expected. I didn't expect a whole lot. It's nowhere near as good as the contingent of fans that are on, I'll call the Patrick Williams superstar uh, fan club who just just seem to think Patrick Williams can do no wrong. He's been a, a solid defender. Offensively, he stays within himself. Been kind of impressed with his Three-point shooting at 38% so far this season, not on high volume, but you know he's, he's very judicious in the amount of shots he takes. He only does kind of what he knows he should do, uh, and I think that's generally pretty, pretty positive. Again, I'll note, not a high hustle player, and that is maybe my big lone concern, but he does make smart rotations. Uh, he's blocked a decent amount of shots, picked up a decent amount of steals. I, I think that's all pretty good relative to you know, the time he's played. And I think for a rookie, I think he's looked pretty good. And he's kind of played a lot of minutes with our starting lineup, which I think is a little bit dysfunctional for everyone else to try and get points in. I mean, he's starting alongside guys, and he's definitely the fifth option there. So don't expect a whole lot of scoring out of him right now when he's playing a lot of minutes with Kobe, with Zach, with Lowry, and Carter. Like, those four guys are probably all ahead of him in the food chain in terms of getting shots. And so I think it's okay. I think he's off to a good start for where he is. Uh, nothing to get super excited about, but it's all at least minor positive stuff, and and we should be happy with where Patrick Williams is at this point, but not uh, 
I don't know, not fantastically looking like, oh, this guy's a star. Like, yeah, probably not. He's, he's probably going to be the small forward, power forward equivalent of like, uh, you know, Kobe White or, or Wendell Carter or one of these guys that looks like, yeah, they project into a starter at their position, but probably not a top tier starter. That's kind of where you expect uh, Patrick Williams to be right now. We'll see if that perception changes over time and if he makes growth over time. You know, it's, it's great when you see a rookie come in and you feel like, yep, this guy's got a high floor. Because ceiling can often be a lot higher than you expect it to be. So when a guy has got a high floor right away, and they're young, I should add that in there, and they're young, a young guy with a high floor is, is pretty good, right? Because we don't know what he's going to do. He's definitely athletic enough that if he picks up a few skills on offense, he's going to be solid. And if he just continues to shoot the three this well and can add a little bit more volume, you know, I think that's going to be really solid, right? Like if, if Patrick Williams was a versatile defender that could defend the three, the four, and shoot 38% from three and, and give you good defense everywhere else, that's a really valuable player in the modern NBA. And he, he's looked pretty good when he's been switched on to guys in isolation. He's done a, a pretty good job against guys who can create off the dribble. So I think that's overall a positive. Maybe I talked myself into giving him a B. I probably want to, he probably, maybe even a B plus. I think, I think he's actually been really solid. So I'm very happy with Patrick Williams. I sometimes maybe get a little bit more negative than I mean to because there's so many people who are over the moon for Patrick Williams. And I don't think there's a reason to think his upside is way off the charts. But I do think Patrick Williams has been really solid and we should be very cautiously optimistic about what he can do for this team going forward. Uh, Garrett Temple, maybe the last guy I'll, I'll speak about his numbers are kind of like crap, but boy, I just feel like the team uh, feels a little bit better when he's out there to me. Uh, maybe, maybe that's not fair, but like he, he moves the ball well. He does a little bit of everything well. I, I don't know. I, th- I think Garrett Temple has is, is, is been pretty solid. So I think I still probably go with a C, though, just because his overall numbers have been kind of poor. His three-point shooting is, is dipped. It was a little bit better earlier, but it's really dipped a lot. And his offensive efficiency has really dipped a lot. Uh, but definitely uh, seems to move the ball pretty well, makes smart decisions, makes those around him better, plays pretty good defense, does a little bit of everything, is kind of what we thought he would be. So maybe he just kind of is who we, we thought we would be. I do expect his three-point shooting to bounce back, but we'll see. And maybe we'll just throw a quick shout-out to Denzel Valentine for a brief period last night against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, and if you follow uh, C. Red Fred, you know he led the NBA league in three-point shooting percentage for about three minutes until he missed two threes and dropped his percentage from 73% down to 61%. But still, amazing shooting so far. You kind of almost feel like you just got to give Valentine some burn and just see if, if he can keep up this like hot streak. Not that I think he's going to shoot 61% from three for any length of time, but if he is really a legitimately great three-point shooter, and there's every reason to think that he can be, and he's a pretty good passer, and he's a good rebounder. I actually like how much he rebounds, and he goes in there, and he mixes it up with guys. I I think Pat Williams could actually learn something from Denzel Valentine in that sense, Uh, but if if he goes in and is able to continue to do those things, I I think Denzel Valentine uh, could actually be an interesting player for the Bulls. As crazy as it is to say, if he stays healthy, I, I could see this guy actually breaking into the rotation and maybe, maybe crazy as it sounds, maybe even sticking with this team in the future. I know I don't want to get like too high on Denzel because I like completely wrote him off. And I think as did every Bulls fan, like wrote this guy off. But he's actually been pretty solid. And so let's see what happens with Denzel. I think he's earned enough opportunity 
that he should get some more chances on the court to see if this is legit and to see if he can keep having this type of impact because generally when he's been out there, he's played within himself. He's taken the shots that are good shots. He's knocked them down at an insane rate. I mean, you, you got to kind of be reasonably happy with what Denzel has given you and his limited minutes so far and, and got to see if he can keep it up. Anyway, that will do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat, and I will talk to you guys soon.